0: Welcome to NC Talks. I'm Lauren Pulling and in this edition we'll be exploring the field of neuroregeneration as part of our latest Spotlight focus on NeuroCentral. The limited capacity for repair in the nervous system represents a significant medical challenge. As the field works to address this, we're learning more and more about innate regeneration as well as how the regenerative process can be harnessed and exploited to treat neurodegenerative disease and facilitate repair following injury. In this podcast, I speak to Dr. Terry Burns, who practices and leads a research group at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, in the USA. His group is developing regenerative strategies to optimise neurological function and quality of life for patients with brain tumours, neurological injuries and neurodegenerative diseases, with particular research focuses on radiation-induced brain injury, microglial biology and cell-based regenerative therapies. Dr Burns tells us about his research, as well as the core challenges in bringing basic regenerative research through to the clinic, and where the field could be heading in the coming years. Please could you tell us about your background and current role, and how did you become interested in neuroregeneration?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, my original PhD uh, some years ago was in Stem Cells and Stroke. I was working at the University of Minnesota under Catherine Versailles, who who is then head of the Stem Cell Institute, and Walter Lowe, who is head of the neurosurgery research uh, effort there. We were working with bone marrow-derived cells that looked like they had more plasticity or the ability to make different kinds of cells, um, at least more so than people had acknowledged or realized in the past. and we. Uh, went through a number of um, experiments that led us to realize that some of this was actually not real. (laughs) And some of the adult bone marrow drive cells that looked like they were making neurons really weren't, and it was a a technical artifact. Um, At that time, the the goal was to treat stroke. And so as uh, time went on, we realized that a lot of the things that stem cells were doing uh, in those models were actually not just making new neurons in the brain, but actually releasing various trophic factors that could be reparative and therapeutic even though the cells themselves couldn't make uh, new neurons. And so uh, moving on from there, now there are actually hundreds of clinical trials ongoing um, throughout the world actually looking at the role of potentially bone marrow-derived cells and other um, uh, populations of adults and um, stem cells from various regions to perform therapeutic functions uh, even when they don't necessarily make new cells. Obviously the ability of cells to make new, um, the ability of stem cells to make new types of cells is incredibly important for some diseases but uh, there are multiple ways to have a therapeutic impact and so that's how I sort of early got into the field of neuroregeneration. Right now I'm a neurosurgeon at Mayo Clinic I run a lab uh, that looks at Uh, neuroregeneration sort of bridging between neuro-oncology. I'm a brain tumor surgeon um, clinically but then as part of the treatment for brain tumors we have to give radiation and it turns out that radiation is actually a pretty um, uh, significant hit to the brain. It's it's almost like accelerated aging and so we're working to understand those processes and figure out how we can minimize the cognitive sequence of treating uh, patients with brain tumors and in using humans which typically in the lab we don't have access to but in the OR uh, as a surgeon certainly we do have access to the human samples and if these have been um, exposed to radiation in the past I think that can give us some very important clues as to how um, the Aging and degenerative processes take place in human rather, humans rather than mice.
0: And so, can you tell us a little bit more about your group's current research focuses?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we have a, a few areas of, of interest, uh, and as I was trying to mention, radiation injury is certainly one of those. And so we're, we're seeing um, that radiation has multiple effects on the, the stem cell population in the brain, which we need for cognitive uh, performance you know, to be able to encode new memories and to have the type of learning that we'd like to be able to have. The stem cells, as it turns out, need to be able to work work well and they don't tough to radiation. Also, um, the brain is maintained by microglial cells and the ability of the microglial cells to work deteriorates with aging and it certainly looks from uh, our data to date that after radiation the microglial cells the sort of immune system cells of the brain really look like they're old microglia after radiation and so you know, we can't expect them to be working properly and how can we uh, rejuvenate them in a way to restore the, the youthful type um, healthy functions but to the stem cell populations and to the microglia of the brain to optimize cognitive function. That's a, this is the main focus um, of, of my own lab. But as uh, a neurosurgeon here at Mayo, I'm also um, working with a number of individuals throughout Mayo, and Mayo has uh, multiple campuses, also in Arizona and Florida, in which they have an enterprise effort uh, in neuroregeneration, uh, bringing together strengths in neuroscience and clinical care Um, to help translate uh, therapies for a wide variety of neurological diseases. We have a trial that's just starting for spinal cord injury looking at um, the uh, potential of an zankyl stem cell population um, there that's also been beneficial in ALS and and, um, multiple systems atrophy and a a variety of um, efforts to really help bring therapies not just to lab mice but
0: patients. Hmm. So just to touch back on some of the research that you were talking about there, it's a lot of research you're doing. Um, yeah. So that the um, regenerative therapies that you're investigating, investigating to combat radiation um, sort of injury, do you think one day it's likely that we could see this regenerative therapy as sort of a standard uh, adjunct treatment to radiation in oncology patients?
1: Yeah, you know, there are a number of things um, being pursued. I mean, part of the challenge is even, uh, you know, shifting the focus because the focus for patients with brain tumor has always been survival. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if someone is not performing cognitively as, as well after you know their treatment for brain radiation, the, 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 the thought has been, well, you know, unfortunately that's a side effect of treatment, at least you're alive. But, yeah. you know, t- as we're starting to really appreciate when we actually study the impact of the treatments that we give on patients' quality of life. It, it's really profound. And so you know, we really now want not just to prolong life but to optimize quality of life. And so um, what is going to be the optimal treatment? I mean, I'll be perfectly honest. I think eventually the optimal treatment is not going to be radiating the brain at all. <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, at the moment, unfortunately, we're stuck with that. It's one of the most effective therapies that we have in a armamentarium. And so just simple things in terms of making sure that we're getting all the detailed cognitive uh, information on patients before and after surgery and before and after radiation. Uh, But then there are so many potentially untapped resources that we can apply to this problem. As it turns out, when you look at traumatic brain injury or spinal cord injury, a lot of the most effective therapies um, are those that can be given, well, before you actually have the injury. Well, typically for stroke and traumatic brain injury and spinal cord injury, we don't have access to the patient before the injury. But radiation, I mean, it's really scheduled brain trauma, um, or you can think of it as an iatrogenic neurodegenerative disease. So we really do have the uh, unique opportunity to uh, have access to these patients, both to study and to treat even before uh, performing the injury. And I think that's uh, going to be not only uh, a a great um, avenue to help improve the outcomes of patients with brain tumors, but then also to help us figure out, well, what is it that we need to do to treat other types of neurological?
0: diseases mm-hmm. and so another thing that you touched on just now um was sort of the both the clinical and um more basic research side of neurogeneration, and across all these projects having to bring those two together so what are the main challenges of clinical translation for neuroregenerative therapies
1: yeah You know, there are many. And I think it's fair to say um, that there has been a lot of hope for neuroregeneration. And a lot of that hope is yet to be realized. I mean, you think about stroke, spinal cord injury, traumatic brain injury, uh, we don't have any effective regenerative therapies for these diseases. Um, You know, there are some diseases where we have symptomatic treatments, you know, dopamine or deep brain stimulation for Parkinson's. But we can't change the natural history of the disease yet. So, now why is that? <laughs> I mean, that's a million-dollar question. And I, I think there are multiple fa- uh, facets to it. And I, I don't want to incriminate any particular group, but, you know, I think we can all work together to optimize how we approach um, and and you know, overcome these problems. So I think problem number one is we really need to acknowledge that there is a problem, that the approach overall that we've been taking over the past decade hasn't worked. And that approach has been to, like, understand the molecular mechanisms and and try to find, well, we look at patients who have multiple diseases, oh, we've got some genetic clues, you know, where we the bottom line is we really have been looking for the silver bullet. You know, what drug can we develop that's going to cure Alzheimer's or cure Parkinson's? And I think the bottom line is it's not going to be one drug, it's going to be a cocktail. I mean, if you think about the naked mole rat, so here's a, a rat, which, you know, rats live a few years or something, but here's a, a, a strain of rat, really, which lives 30 or 40 years, the incidence of cancer in these rats is exceptionally low. Um, Well, what's different about them? Well, it's not one thing. There are at least like 40 or 50 genes or processes that is fundamentally different in those animals. And I think the same is going to be true for humans. So, um, if, if you ask me, you know, what has been the challenge? Well, I think the challenge is we're trying to find one cause, and there isn't one cause. Um, and so, another challenge is that we've been trying to develop therapies in mice. Well, the the mouse liver and the the human liver may have a lot of overlap, but the mouse brain and the human brain are actually fundamentally different. Um, and so, I think we do really need to take advantage of access to human. Um, tissue and really focus on the human disease um, and figure out ways that we can use multi-modality treatments, uh, targeting multiple, uh, not just pathologic processes, but restorative processes. I mean, if you have a TIA or transient ischemic attack, um, that's not quite a stroke, but it's moving in that direction. The brain responds by upregulating all sorts of protective processes. The same is true if you've had, um, you know, various types of injuries, you know, this sort of preconditioning. So that's one strategy. There there are all of these strategies that nature has to help combat stresses and injuries. And that's what's really lacking, I think, as we age. These restorative processes that provide defense against the aging processes, whether it's Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease or whatever it is, there are uh, these defenses that just are not performing at their optimum as they were when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And how do we use um, a variety of techniques targeting mitochondria, DNA repair, uh, the whole metabolic processes going on in the cell, uh, and really take a multi-pronged approach to helping the the brain. Re- re- to its peak performance um, to combat these ageing-type diseases.
0: Mm. And so what do you think has been the most significant step in the field of neuroregenerative medicine so far?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I I think that there are are a few things that I I think are real highlights. Mm. So, and and there are ones that... um, you might argue, haven't uh, really panned out yet, but I I think they've really helped lay the foundation. So if you go back to the work of Anders Bjorklund and and some of his uh, colleagues in Sweden and, and also here in the U.S., I mean, here... Is a group and a team of people who over the decades have been systematically refining processes um, and really un- unearthing what are all the challenges to even implant cells into the brain and so you, there are patients now that are 20 plus years out from um, a fetal cell implantation for treatment of Parkinson's disease who are still off um, medications and doing very very, well. I mean, that is a change in the course of disease, Mm -hmm. and that's something that, you know, otherwise hasn't been achievable. Now, are there problems? Yeah, there are huge problems. I mean, how do you help the cells um, survive? How do you minimize the inflammatory reaction against them? How do you select the patients who are at the right stage of disease? There are are so many challenges. How, How do you come up with a renewable or a sustainable source of cells? How do you overcome the ethical problems of fetal cell transplantation? There's a lot of challenges. But I think um, that is really a landmark accomplishment that, you know, through a lot of dedication, um, there have been successes. Um, And, you know, you might point to the FDA-funded clinical trials that were were negative. Well, you know, there have been a lot of concerns raised about the design of those trials. Um, You know, I won't go into all that detail, but I think the proof of principle exists that uh, cell therapies can be Therapeutic, um, if you know, optimised, and yeah, I would say that that's definitely a real uh, step that has you know um, been pivotal as the field develops. I think some of the other uh, significant steps haven't yet made it to the clinic, and I might just highlight one. There are are many others that I could highlight that just I think illustrate the potential of the field. And so, if you take an old mouse and you sew it to a young mouse. The old mouse. You know, you know, it doesn't learn as well, That um, it has various features of aging. You know, the skin is thin, the muscle mass is not as high, and you know, um, all, all of these features of aging are present. If you throw that mouse to a, a young mouse, and so then the blood, um, the circulatory systems commingle, and oddly enough, the neurogenesis levels in that old mouse improve, the ability to learn improves, the synapses on the neurons, uh, you know, look younger. <laughs> And that, to me, is just profound proof of principle that an old system can rejuvenate. And, you know, well, what is the magic bullet in that young serum? Well, what do you know? It's not a magic silver bullet. You know, people have tried to find any one of a number of genes or compounds or cytokines, and none of them by themselves work. And so it really is, I think, going to be the cocktail. And, you know, so I think that's um, been another significant step forward just as a proof of principle. Of what the field can accomplish
0: yeah it's amazing to see what will happen soon so um, on that track where do you hope that the field could be in say five to ten years time
1: yeah you, you know five to ten years of it is <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it's it's um. Scientists, I think, really easily fall into this optimistic trap of overpromising. promising uh, And, you know, I think 10 years ago when neural stem cells were being developed and there were, there were iPS cells that were um, you know, described and pluripotency and the ability to make neurons in addition, all of these kinds of things, you know, people were making proclamations about spinal cord injury is going to be cured in, in 10 years and Parkinson's going to be cured in 15 years. Is and all of these things, and of course we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And so it really is... Um it is humbling. Mm-hmm. The, we, there is a lot that we don't know, and the road is long, but we really are making huge strides and accelerating, uh, really, every month. So, you know, where do I hope mm-hmm. <laughs> this field could be in five to, year, five to ten years' time? You know, what I would hope um, is that we are really approaching the science a little differently, that instead of doing quite as many experiments really just in mice and in the lab, that we're really figuring out new technologies and new strategies to understand what's going on in the human brain and how can we evaluate uh, that in really a high-throughput process, how, how can we have started to design clinical trial strategies where we're not just testing a single um, pathway Way, but really saying, all right, we know that in a young system, all of these different pathways are activated. So, you know, if you think about um, how did how did um, the induced pluripotent stem cells, um, yeah, how, did, how were the original four genes discovered? Well, they didn't start by testing one gene at a time. They started by saying, well, in a young um, embryonic stem cell, all of these genes are upregulated. And so what if we use all of those and see if we can get the same phenotype? That and it worked. worked. And then they went backwards and started taking away genes until they got to the point where, oh, well, these are the four that we really need. And so I think, you know, if we think about the way things are going on in medicine, where we're trying one drug at a time or one process at a time, well, I don't think we're ever going to get there. I think we need to say, well, how do we really try to replicate and model the younger system and then go back from and figure out what's, what are the real critical elements that we need. So, you know, that's where I kind of hope the field might be in five to ten years' time, That we're sort of looking at the problems a little bit differently because, honestly, the way that we've been looking at them over the past, um, you know, 30 years or so hasn't yielded the results we hope for. We know a ton more than we did before, don't get me wrong, and there's fantastic advances that have been made and it's extremely exciting. But the things that I think people have been hopeful for, you know, block beta amyloid for Alzheimer's, you know, these, you know, well, here's the problem, let's fix this problem, they really haven't worked, Um, but I I think, you know, how can we really well replicate the juvenile, um, youthful uh, system, and then from there distill it down to the key elements, what we need to um, restore um, youthful performance and and resolve the ageing-like pathology. That's what I hope for.
0: Wonderful, and thank you very much for joining us today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks so much for your time.
0: We hope you enjoyed this NC Talks podcast from NeuroCentral, featuring Lauren Pulling, editor and Dr. Terry Burns. For more on the field of neuroregeneration, take a look at our spotlight on NeuroCentral. You can also find the latest news, interviews, journal articles and more across neuroscience and neurology at www.neuro-central.com.